I had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Trace. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am super excited you're here with us this morning. Are you excited to be in the house of the Lord? Yes. Awesome. Very good. Very good. Well, I wanted to start with a, an example that um, some of you may have some background on, some of you may not. How many would you classify yourself as like a, a musician, like a, a musician musician? I got a couple of hands. Okay. Um, the example I'm going to use, I don't think you need a lot of context to be able to put it into, into use. So, um, Christy, would you just pull up the very first slide there? Okay, so this is, we're looking at a piano keyboard. And what note is that, anybody? Thank you for being able to read. Pretty note, right? Sure. Beautiful. Love that middle C. There it is. Uh, let's do another one. Let's do the next slide. I think it's an E, is it? E. E, yeah. Ooh. Okay, thank you, Audrey, for singing. Sounds a little different, right? Was it really? All the way back there? Okay, I should have known your voice carries. So higher or lower than the last note? So we've got some listening skills there. Okay, so all three of those notes are unique, right? They sound distinct, yes? Yes. Okay, so when you play them together, something happens. Because when Audrey's playing here on the keyboard or Mike is playing on the guitar, it's when you play those three notes together that it forms a what? A chord. A chord, if you put that up there real quick. Now, those three distinct notes come together to do something else. It's called a harmonic structure. And all songs are built in a harmonic structure. But it's only when you play those three notes together that it produces that kind of sound. Individually, the notes still have their own function. You can play melodies, do all kinds of stuff. But when you play them together, and only when you play them together, does it make a chord. You can't have a C and a G and call it a chord. It does it not work. And the reason I want to use this illustration is because as we're going through our study in 1 John, he's, John is basically landing on sort of the culmination of what he's talking about. And he's going to give us three distinct yet purposely tied together aspects of the Christian faith. Where John is basically saying, if you don't have all three of these things, you cannot claim the Christian faith as the Bible lays it out. Now that sounds a little strong, a little bold, but I believe that's what John is telling us. And just like this, the chord, whatever chord it is, if you don't have all three notes in it, you can't call it a chord. So this is what we're going to go over. If you have a Bible, go and grab it, open it up. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Um, we're going to be at the end of 1 John chapter 5. Like I said, we're, we're wrapping up. We've got two more after this and we're done. Um, and so flip over to 1 John 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. Say amen when you get there. Amen. It's on the screen for you. We had a little mishap, by the way. The TV is broken, so... Brian, in his goodness to us, let us use one of the school's TVs in the meantime. So, <clears throat> 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, this is the word of God. 
Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay, there's our text. Let's pause briefly in prayer and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you again for uh, this day, another day of life. We're so grateful, Lord God, that you gathered us here this morning. We're grateful for your church. We're grateful for the purpose and the plans that you have for your people here on this earth, God. We know it's um, God, it's a privilege to be called your sons and daughters, and we don't want to take that for granted. So we just pause to say thank you. <laughs> thank you for uh, bringing us into community with one another here. Thank you for bringing us into fellowship, Lord, with with you um, through through your work on the cross. Um, Jesus, we thank you for allowing us access to the Father. And God, we just ask this morning that as we look to the Word, we know that there are things here that are going to challenge us. There are things here that are going to encourage us. There are things here that are going to uh, draw our attention closer to our need for you. God, and we pray that each one of those things takes place, that we might leave this this room, God, better equipped to love you and love others, to walk in obedience, and to trust in you in new and increasing ways, Father. Um, be with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, screen here, bottom over there, up here. Phone number. If you have questions that you'd like to ask, please text that number. We'll come up here at the end, and we'll answer uh, as best we can, or at least point you to some resources for those questions. So... John is giving us a very unique picture of the Christian life through this letter. It's been a good journey so far. But he's gone really to great lengths in order to draw a very clear picture for us. I'm sorry, I feel very close to you right now. There. I don't want to be too close to you. He, he draws a clear picture of what the Christian should look like. And... As I was writing that word Christian down, I kind of paused for a minute because um, the word Christian has come to mean something that it increasingly is less than what it meant, what it's meant to mean. And matter of fact, I sometimes go out of my way to replace that word Christian with believer. Because at least the word believer has some aspect of what a Christian should be. Um, in fact, First John has made clear that there, as I said, three inseparable intertwining, we'll call them threads, of this lifestyle that are necessary and unmistakable. Necessary, unmistakable. Three threads. Now, here's where we get a little interactive. Anyone want to take a stab at the three words, the three threads, strands, cords, the three specific words, all of them are in our scripture here, 1 John 1 through 5, looking for three words that are going to describe specific aspects of the believer's life. Okay, love is one. Faith, I'm going to go with a different word. Believe. And I heard somebody else said it over here. Like, obey. So belief, love, and obedience. These are the three things that we're talking about. Uh, all three of them working together uh, are required in the life of a believer. And the reason this is important is because without this sort of distinctive, irreducible content, people can falsely claim the faith of the Bible. 
oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And we don't see some or all of these aspects that John is very clear to lay out for us. So if, if, that's, the, if that's true, if these are necessary and essential, we need to know then, what is the essence of these three things? Well, the foundation is obviously Jesus, right? Jesus is always the right answer. He's the foundation. But more than that, he is the Christ, the Son of God. That's how the passage opened, right? He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, he's the Messiah. He's not just some historical figure. He's not just some cool teacher that existed a couple thousand years ago. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. That is an important distinction. And to believe anything else, to believe anything else is to believe in something that offers no hope and no power to overcome the world. The substance is belief in this truth that Jesus is the Christ, a love for God and his people, and a heart that is set toward obedience. So my working sort of thesis statement, you know, I kind of I like to share with you my mindset of how I put these messages together. So my working thesis statement, if you will, is for the believer, for the Christian, for the believer. The substantive threads, the substantial principal threads of belief, love, and obedience are necessary and inseparably woven together. So for the believer, there's three threads, these love, the belief, the obedience, and they are necessary and inseparably woven together. I mean, these are the main themes. If you've been with us, if you've read through First John at all, you'll know this is what he's been talking about the whole time. We're not going to go through it all, but in chapter 2, he addresses all of this. In, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 are talking about obedience. Verses 7 through 11 is love. And verses 18, 18 through 27 is obedience. I believe, sorry. In chapter 3, he hits obedience and love again. And then in chapter 4, it's belief and love. Now in chapter 5, it's all three. And he shows how they combine and work together and in concert. I love that John just simplifies it. I'm a simple person. I need things broken down in very simple places, pieces. So I get how he's talking to me, and hopefully you get that as well. So verse 1, he sets a reminder that this love exists horizontally, that is, relationally. Love exists in this direction because it first exists in this direction, right? We can, ha- we can love this way because we are already being loved and loving this way. And it's made accessible through our faith. If you were here last week, you know, we spent some time examining the idea of being born of God. That is, being a born-again believer, that is the access point to the love that we're talking about. So if you're a Christian here this morning, if you've repented and believed you are born of God, you have access to the love that God is talking about here, which then in turn allows us to love this way. And without Christ, my friends, it's impossible to love the way that God has called us to love. We can't do it. Namely, that sacrificial love that we spent a lot of time over the last couple weeks talking about. The prime example of this love that he's been talking about is Jesus on the cross, right? It's sacrificial in nature. But in John's opening verse, he's essentially pointing believers to the fact that if we are new creations in Christ Jesus, the old has passed away, the new has come, born of God, then we love the Father and... He says we love each other, our spiritual siblings, as it were. It's both and. We love 
God and we love others. Nothing earth shattering, right? Nobody should have any problems with that, hopefully. But let's briefly talk about that word belief in verse one, because he says, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, it's not a casual understanding. It's not an intellectual understanding of the gospel. That's not the kind of belief anybody can say, oh, yeah, I I believe that. I, I understand that. It makes sense to me. That's not the level of belief that we're talking about here. It's way more than that. The reason being is because everything is on the line. All of it. Everything that we are living for rests solely on the fact that the gospel is true. That Jesus is the Messiah and that he came to save you and for me. In other words, if the good news of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Christ, his atoning sacrifice on the cross, if it did not have the power to free us, free us from sin and reconcile us back to the Father, then none of this matters. Right? None of it matters. In fact, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. I'm not just making this stuff up so you can show me, that, or I can show you that Paul agrees. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 17. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as, say, let me back up. So people are denying the resurrection, that, that physical bodily resurrection can happen. So Paul's addressing this. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. I mean, that's it, right? If this is not true, if the gospel is wrong, then you're dead in your sins. You're hopeless. So would you say a lot is on the line here? In terms of whether or not the gospel is real and true, you might say life and death, right? The best way I found to express this principle of belief is through an example of skydiving. So how many of you have been skydiving? You jumped out of an airplane. Okay, more hands than I thought. How many of you would like to go skydiving? You just haven't have a chance to. Okay, even more hands than I thought. Okay, good. How many of you, there's no chance you're jumping out of an airplane? Okay, that's a majority of us. Why would you do that? <laughs> For the thrill of it. It's a good time, Audrey. You should try it. Oh, the, the indoor skydiving, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's not quite the same. I, I, I get it. That's the cheater version, Heidi, okay? When I went skydiving, I was the last one in the plane, and so I'm sitting by the door that's like right here, and as we're taking off and we're like, I don't know, two, 3,000 feet, the door flies open. And I'm not strapped into anybody. The guy that I'm going to be attached to has got his parachute on. I'm sitting there with just a harness on. Like, literally, the door is right here. And I'm going, uh, what's happening right now? So he got up and closed the door, thankfully. But, whoo, yeah. It's a good time. You should try it. You'll go with Heidi in the, in the, the cheater version. So in this example, there's an airplane flying through the air, right? The plane represents the world. And everything the world has to offer. And many people put their full trust and confidence that that plane that they're in is going to get them safely to their destination. Problem is, the plane is almost out of gas. They can't land anywhere. And even if they could, the pilot's unconscious. So 
Nobody on the plane knows this or understands this. But there's this guy at the door, at the exit door, who's handing out parachutes to anyone that believes that the parachute is actually going to function as it's supposed to and save you and get you slave to the ground. So the parachute represents Jesus in this scenario, obviously, right? So you slowly walk to the door. You're looking at this guy. You're looking at these parachutes, and you're examining it very closely. You're making a determination whether you're going to strap that parachute to your back and jump out of the airplane. So let me ask you this. How confident do you have to be that that parachute is going to function and do what it promises to do if you're going to jump out of the airplane? Would it be 65% confident that's going to work? Is that, is that in the ballpark for you? 85%? Not 95 for me, it's 100%. If I'm not 100% sure that thing is going to open, I'm going to take my chances on the plane. Right? Would you agree? I mean, that's part of the gamble. I get it. Part of the, the, the thrill or whatever. But the moment I jump out of that airplane, when I pull the cord, if it does not open, I am dead. That's the reality of it. Do you believe in Jesus with the same mindset? That if what he promised you is not true, that you are dead. Like your belief goes beyond an intellectual understanding. Everything is on the line for what you believe and who Jesus is. That's the kind of belief that Jesus is the Christ. It's not casual. We don't dabble in Christianity as we talked about earlier. Everything that you have believes that he is going to save you and rescue you as he promised. That's what we're talking about here. Now, I'm sorry for spending a lot of time on that, but I think it's important that believers understand what they're believing in and why it's so important. Let's move forward. We saw in verse 1 that the love that God has in mind here is relational, here as well as here. Absolutely, but it's more than that. Let's look at the the next verse 2 to 3. We're going to see how it leads from there, verses 2 to 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Again, John breaking it down real simple for This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Okay, great. Shouldn't be unfamiliar to any of us that have been walking through, especially the gospel according to John. We talked a lot about obedience as we walked through that. Jesus expressed actually quite clearly that the love for him meant adherence to his commandments. But how do we keep his commandments? We talk a lot about the fact that we should keep his commandments, but how do we do that? Where is a good starting point in keeping his commandments? Well, that's a good question. Glad you asked. Here it is. It's a daily decision. A daily decision to lay down your own life in order to yield your heart to God's. And nobody can do it for you. Nobody can do it for you. Now, sounds too simple, right? I just got to make the decision. Well, it is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple in terms of where to begin. Let's look at Luke 9.23. And he said to all, this is Jesus talking, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, 
take up his cross daily and follow me. So if we're going to be a believer, we're going to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, we got to deny ourselves. Well, that sounds terrible, right? Because I like doing stuff that makes me happy. Right? We read about this in Paul's writings again. The Spirit is fighting against the what? The flesh. The Holy Spirit inside of us battling that fleshly, sinful desire. It's a constant battle back and forth. And sometimes it went out and sometimes the flesh wins out, but it's a constant battle. How do we begin to move beyond that? We acknowledge that we need to deny ourselves. What pleases us, what makes us feel good? If it doesn't line up with the word of God, then we deny it. We take up our cross. We're talking about sacrificial things. Go to the next text, please. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I mean, again, there it is. Paul laid it out for us. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice? Sounds terrible, right? That's, that costs something. That means putting aside ourselves in order to pursue the things of God over and above the things that we would desire. And there's a balance here, my friends. I don't want you to hear me say, like, you just have to carry this around all day long and just be in prayer all day long, and the only thing you can think about is God. Like, that's not what I'm talking about here. It's a conscious decision every day to deny yourself, take up your cross, present your body as a living sacrifice. It's a willingness. I told you, a heart set toward obedience. We're moving in that direction. So when you make wake up tomorrow, will you make the decision to do that? And it is a decision for the day. I thought about that and I was praying this morning, like, I know I'm going to preach on this, so I'm going, to, I'm going to make that determination right now, Lord. I am going to commit myself to deny myself and do all this. And then I had this vision real quick. It was like, you know, I, I have great intentions. I could say that at 6.30 in the morning and then... By 4 o'clock, I've completely forgotten about what I said this morning in my prayer time. So it's not a momentary commitment. It's a daily, meaning 24 hours. <laughs> I'm committing to this thing for this day. Again, easier said than done. So sometimes we need reminders of that. But do we want to exchange our heavy burdens for his light and easy yoke? Because as it said in verse a three, his, his commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. There, there's a freedom in living the way that God has designed for us. A weight that's kind of lifted off our shoulders as to how we are to live. It's not that we're limited or we're like put in a box or like you stay over there. It's, it's that we're freed up to operate in a healthy and safe parameter created by God. That's a beautiful thing. Just like any good parent creates safe parameters for their children to operate. It's not that they want them to suffer or only be exposed to this one little tiny thing. It's out of love and care for them. They, children sometimes don't see the value in that. But as parents, we know this is, what, this is what you can be in. You operate here, okay? God is saying the same thing. My commandments are not burdensome. They're meant to help you to flourish and to thrive and to do the things that I've called you to do. But we've got to go to him in obedience. In fact, this is another way we are able to keep his commandments. We admit that we're weak 
and that we need his help. How many people like admitting they're weak and they need help? Nobody does. We're good. Got this. Tough, strong, capable. And yes, you may be all of those things. But in order to do the things that God is calling you to do, man, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta shift some things around in our mind. Let's look at Matthew 11, a familiar scripture that's gonna help orient our mind around this. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What were the first three words of that again? Come to me. That's Jesus telling you to go to him in your weakness, in your needing something from him. My burden is light, he says. I think this is where the three threads that we talked about begin to come into focus as one. Because when we're set free by Christ to love God, which we are, then we are set free to live rightly with one another, as God has defined rightly, according to his commandments. And the freedom in that is light compared to the weight and heaviness of sin as we are walking out of alignment with his commandments. The decision to walk in obedience must be, must be prompted by and sourced in love of God in his love for us, and as accessed by our faith. But our belief plays a role in this too, my friends. If we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, as we discussed earlier, if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, do we also believe then that his ways are better than our ways? Because it's not just enough to believe that he saved us and redeemed us as part of it, But do we believe that his ways are better than our ways? Do we believe he is worthy of setting aside our own desires for his? See, belief goes beyond just what we talked about earlier, and it moves into action by saying, yes, I do believe that what you want for me is better than what I want for myself. If you don't believe that, I promise you, you will have a hard time, if not impossible time, yielding your heart and denying yourself. Because there's some aspect in here that goes, I think my way is a little bit better. That's a dangerous place, right? These three threads of Christianity comprise our faith in God. And in this faith, that's where we find victory over the world. We saw that in verse 4 and 5. John Piper says it this way. He says, this faith overcomes the world. That is, it overcomes the enslaving power of the world to be our supreme treasure. Faith breaks the enslaving spell of the world's allurement. By doing that, faith leads us into obedience with freedom and joy. God and his holy sorry God and his holy will look beautiful and not burdensome the new birth has taken the blinders off we see things for what they are and are free to obey with joy that last part is also important with joy he said earlier that the commandments are not burdensome 
When they feel weighty or obligatory, or like, man, I just have to do this, there's no joy in that. There's no freedom in that. That's, 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 that's a miserable existence, right? That's not what he's saying here. When we understand how necessary it is to yield ourselves to God, and we see how much better his ways are than our ways, and we joyfully submit to that, there's a freedom and a joy that follows. Have you been around people that just, you know that they are just connected, they're abiding in God, and there's just a sense about them that is like joyful, and you want to be around them. (laughs) You're like, man, there's something about that person. They get what we're talking about here, and they're living it out in front of you in real time. And we have victory over this world, my friends, but through Christ alone. And isn't it interesting that we have victory over this world, and it It doesn't come through anything in this world. (laughs) Victory over this world comes from nothing in this world. It comes through Christ alone. I love that. Back in John 16, 33, if you want to pull that one up. So Jesus, this is at the end of the high priestly prayer. He's telling him that that he's overcome the world. I, I say these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So a couple of things just in that one scripture right there. That in me you may have what? Peace. Peace. Okay, that's not something we've talked about. In the midst of obedience and love and and walking in love and and faith, there's a peace also that exists. Because what does he say right after that? (laughs) Oh, by the way, you're going to have tribulation in this world. Again, no surprise. It's going to be tough out there for you, but you're going to have my peace, and I have overcome the world. Now, he's saying these things to a group of guys that are, are tired, they're scared, and they're questioning all kinds of things. Right? The disciples. This is who he's talking to near the end of his ministry on earth. They're tired. It's three years, man. They've been going at this. And he's he's meaning this as, a, as, a, as an encouragement, as a source of strength for his disciples, a power to remain obedient to the Lord's call on their life. A peace in this difficult and stress-filled world. So let me ask, are any of you today here tired or scared or just, yeah, fed up, questioning things? Just at that point where it's like, God, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. No friends. Jesus says you have overcome the world. He said there's something waiting for you that's far greater than anything this world has to offer. So, who overcomes the world? He does. And then we, through that, also overcome the world. So, those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God overcome the world. Yes? How is it that we know that we believe? It's through our love for other people and through God. Right? John said that multiple times. If you love me and people... You're mine. You're in in the light. You're not in the darkness. There's all kinds of examples that he uses, but that's a purposeful thing. If you love me and you love others, you can know that you are born of God. And what do we do as a result of this love? We obey. So who overcomes the world? Those that believe Jesus is the Son of God. How do we know that we believe, that we love God, and that we love others? And what do we do as a result of this love? 
we obey. You see how they all work together. They're intertwined. You can't have one without the other. They are all necessary for the believer. The substantive threads of belief, love, and obedience are necessary and inseparably woven together. So as we begin to see this in our lives, our our perspective begins to change. It shifts. We become more aware, more aware of how God loves us and how we ought to love other people. Our hearts become more and more satisfied in keeping his commandments and the belief that we have in Jesus as the Messiah, it deepens in us. So it's not just that we arrive in this one place once we profess faith, but God begins to grow and expand in every one of those areas. Our belief deepens as we see God responding as he promised Our love grows and deepens as we are reminded of how he loves us in spite of ourselves sometimes. And we can't help but love in that way. And then our obedience becomes more of a joy and a privilege as we see his ways as better than ours. So wherever you are on this journey, Don't be satisfied to say, okay, I'm good. I got myself into the kingdom. I'm all set. Let me just ride this thing out. That's that's not what we're talking about here. There should be in us now a desire to see growth in these areas that produce the kind of fruit in us that that is attractive to the people around us. So I'm going to close in prayer now, and I'm I'm going to ask that the Lord would really help us to discern if there's any areas in our lives where perhaps we need to grow in our belief, in our love, and our obedience. Certainly there are. And this isn't meant as a condemnation thing, but it's more meant of a, God, I yield myself to you. I'm going to pull back the curtains of my heart. Would you just show me if there's something specific that you want me to adjust moving forward that I could daily take up my cross, deny myself, present my body as a living sacrifice, for your glory and for my good. Can we do that? Yes. All right, let's pray. Father, we we just come before you humble. God, and we ask for your help in showing us how in some ways perhaps our lives need some fine-tuning and adjusting. That we might grow in our love our obedience, our faith, our belief in who you are. We're so grateful that you you show us what we need. God, you you don't leave us to try to figure it out, Lord, but you, you give us your word, you give us your Holy Spirit, and you help us to do this in community. So, Father, as we prepare our hearts now to, to sing in response to you. I just I just ask God that you would reveal to us what this message and this word really is meant for in our lives today. And what you're calling us to do in response to the word. Because that's what this is all about, Lord. It's not an accumulation of knowledge. It's obedience-based discipleship. God, we want to do it. We want to be doers of your word. So help us in that. Grow us. Shepherd us. God, we love you. 
We ask for that now in Jesus' name. Amen.